Hello, my magical friends. My name's Ayumi. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and you're listening to Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Whether it's your first or 96th time listening, we welcome you to our space to celebrate magical girls from every corner of the world. We have some big news, and I've watched some things I want to talk about, and then we'll get to today's topic. So let's get started. Once again, a friendly reminder that episode 100 is a mailbag episode, and we are still taking questions, comments, any thoughts at all to celebrate this achievement. So please send in your feedback. Happy May, Mermay, if you will. Um, <laughs> it's a new month. I do want to shout out our Kofi subscribers. So thank you to Kristen, Nico, Author X. Charlie, and finally a new member, Angie. So yeah, I really appreciate it. Last month was a little rough in terms of late, late, late bonus episodes, but we're ahead of schedule for this month. So we have that at least going for us. So yeah, as always, if you want to get even more content, please check out the Kofi page and the uh, April episodes. We did one on Himitsu no Akotan Mew, the most current iteration of Akotan in comic form, and an episode on Release the Spice, which is an adjacent series, not a Magical Girl series, but something that I think is interesting and relevant to people who like Magical Girls, but want to look at something just a little different. So let's get on to news. Of course, the biggest news from last week, Thursday night, Japanese Standard Time, the official Sailor Moon YouTube channel had a live stream in which they did a bunch of things. Uh, first, they went over the kind of history of the franchise. Then they made a, a lot of announcements for upcoming merch. That was kind of interesting. And then finally, they made the big announcement that there would be a new iteration of the current Sailor Moon Crystal reboot series. And so this would be just like with the last arc, which was the Sailor Moon Eternal films. We now have Sailor Moon Cosmos. So this will be covering the Sailor Stars arc. And we will get two movies, just as last time, in theaters in the summer of 2023. So uh, we did get some art and a short trailer. And yeah, it's really, really exciting. There's also going to be a museum opening that was like the other big announcement of the live stream. The last time there was a big live stream like this was for uh, Tokyo Mew Mew New. That's when they were you know, doing their own announcements for the release of their series plus the first trailer. So um, that was very interesting because at that time there was actually someone on staff who was live translating in the chat on YouTube. There wasn't anything like this for this particular live stream for Sailor Moon, which is unfortunate because I do think they have the budget for that sort of thing but might have been for the best because they spent a lot of time going over the Sailor Moon Museum, which is only going to be open for the second half of this year, 2022. And uh, they mentioned a lot of things about how they're going to be some exclusive things or things that are never going to be displayed again. Not sure whether or not that's actually true, but that is what they're claiming. And meanwhile, the borders are still closed in Japan to tourists due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So 
even me being just a few hours away from Tokyo, I'm not sure if I'll be able to go, but I really do hope to because I think it would be really interesting just to be able to get my eyes on some exclusive stuff at the museum. But yes, as far as new Magical Girl stuff, that is the big news. Also, um, we've mentioned this series before, but Magic Lumiere Co. Ltd. is going on to their next volume that released earlier this week. The actual comic in its digital format is already translated and is on Manga Plus. There are places to read it in Japanese in Japan for free, so that's cool uh, on an official basis. But yes, the second volume of the comic released just this week, and uh, it's really nice to see it in print. It, it covers chapters 5 through 13, but I believe that you can read a lot further along than that online. But, you know, for anyone who likes to collect print media, like me, it's something to have. So, next in the news, um, this is an interesting one because people kind of didn't really see a lot of uh, advertisements or anything for it, but, you know, it was enough that the word started to get around quickly. A rather obscure streaming service called darkroom.film have gotten the rights to uh, remaster and officially stream Minky Momo, the entire series, as well as Sugar Sugar Rune. So that's really exciting. So Minky Momo, you can already start to watch their remaster. I've been hearing some things about the quality of the subtitles. In any case, it is official. So that's there. And with that, let's get on to what I've been watching. So I haven't been reading anything new this week, but I have been watching our seasonal show. So as usual, we have Delicious Party Precure, Hirameki Powers slash Rista, Watcha Primaji, Healer Girl, and The Demon Girl Next Door Season 2. So I am really enjoying all these series at the moment. It really is a great time to be a Magical Girl fan. I am really happy about that. But as far as other series go, I have been a little behind schedule, so I haven't actually finished any series recently. So there's that. And I think that's everything we have to talk about there. So let's get on to today's topic. <laughs> Today will be our first episode talking about the Shira franchise. In particular, we're going to be looking at the first season of the reboot Shira and the Princesses of Power from 2018. But I was really lucky to find a guest who is a bona fide magical girl fan and someone who also grew up watching the original series. And so he has a lot of insight as to the differences between this reboot and the original series. Our guest today is Jimmy Shurfee. He is a cosplayer and drag queen and just a fun follow on the socials. I do want to uh, let people know if they're going to follow Jimmy over on Instagram that he does like to post some spicy stuff. So keep that in mind uh, if you are underage. <laughs> um, before we get into today's chat, as we discuss in the episode proper, the show itself is pretty good in terms of diversity, in terms of queer characters, and also diversity in terms of race and body type. But that being said, I do have to bring up something that we didn't get to in the main chat, but is important context for consuming this particular iteration of Shira. So we will definitely talk about this in more depth the next time that we have a Shira episode. I'm not sure when that will be, though I have someone who is willing to come back on the podcast to talk about it. <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, I just wanted to point out because this is something that happened long after the series had finished airing over on Netflix. Once it was all completed back in 2020, there was a live stream with several creators, including the showrunner N.D. Stevenson. And there was a kind of running gag between the creators involving the character of Bo. So Bo, if you don't know, he is a character who's named for the fact that he uses a bow and arrow in the original series. The naming conventions for this series generally are not that deep, but that's fine. <laughs> in any case, so yes, Bo is named for using a bow and arrow. His character in the original franchise is white, but in the reboot is black, which is important context for this uh, running gag about Bo having a bunch of siblings that also have names that rhyme with Bo and are related and are related to their particular interests. And it's during this that we found out that one of those uh, kind of gag characters is a farmer named So, S-O-W. And unfortunately, this led to a joke about tilling the fields. And a lot of people pointed out that, you know, when you have a black character with this kind of stereotype, it looks like jokes about slavery. And that's a really not great in the context of the you know U.S. history of enslaving Black people. Naturally, a lot of fans were very upset. In particular, you know, a lot of people of color were upset. This is in particular a matter of anti-Blackness. I am going to uh, divert over to former guest of the podcast, DJ Kirkland. He is himself an animator and an artist, so I think that his take on this particular subject at the time is a far better opinion to listen to than my own because I am not black and you know you know this is the constant problem when it comes to like diversity and being able to have such a great story that has so many diverse characters but if you're looking behind the scenes and the behind the scenes does not match that it can also cause a lot of issues this is just an example of that I did ask DJ if it was okay to quote him on these. Um, I am going to slightly adjust some of the wording because this situation happened before N.D. Stevenson came out as non-binary and stopped using their previous name and also uh, just for language. So, yes. So, to quote, N.D., I know you likely had no ill intent behind this joke, but it really effing sucks. I know that this isn't a reflection of the content that's in the show, which I love. I don't want to assume, but I really hope in the future that on whatever projects you're on next, if you're in a position of power as a showrunner, that you take a really good look at your team and make sure you actually have black folks on your team. Don't hire them just to meet some arbitrary hashtag diversity quota, but actually hire them for their talent, skill, and perspective that they can bring to your next production. It's clear that this was overlooked this time around, but it doesn't have to be this way. Do better. So again, I will put a link to, you know, the whole situation as it was over on Twitter at the time. You can make your own uh, judgments on it. it. It is, again, something that happened after the series finished, but it is still important context to keep in mind for this show. I still think despite this particular event, which was, again, very unfortunate, that um, people should be able to make their own decisions about how they feel about it and uh, decide whether or not they will continue to enjoy Shira. Again, we will definitely talk about this more in the future, but that's just something to 
have there for you to think about. So with that, let's go into our chat with Jimmy Sherfy about Shira and the Princesses of Power season one. today to talk about the first season of Shira and the Princesses of Power from 2018 and I'm very excited for our new guest today. Can you please introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Jimmy Sherfy. I'm known, I guess, on online specifically as a cosplayer, as a drag queen performer, and definitely known for doing lots of magical girl or Magical Girl inspired um, cosplays. And uh, it's one of my favorite genres of anime. Probably my favorite of all time, we'll say. <laughs> Great. And what are your pronouns? My pronouns are he, him. Great. Yeah. So uh, we can get right into that. What is your history with the Magical Girl genre? Well, like most of your guests, Sailor Moon is my first like official Magical Girl anime. It's not the first anime that I watched, but it was the first Magical Girl one. And then I got really into Magic Knight Ray Earth, uh, Magical Girl Pretty Sammy, Cutie Honey, just kind of all the classics from 90s and um, even older. But I actually grew up, I would say, with the kind of Americanized Magical Girls uh, that I consider Gem and the Holograms, a Magical Girls show, mm-hmm. Rainbow Bright, um, Lady Lovely Locks, and She-Ra, the original She-Ra, I definitely put in, in with kind of Magical Girl-esque shows mm. that were not anime. Yeah. I'm very curious. Your Instagram is great if anyone has not seen it. You have so many great cosplays. You do both, you know, Japanese Magical Girls. You do... Uh, Western Magical Girls, you also have, you know, adjacent series. I think I've seen you do a Candy Candy cosplay. Oh, yeah, it's one of my faves. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm really curious about, like, your use of, you know, a lot of these characters that maybe sometimes people aren't necessarily even familiar with. Like, for example, like, if you're doing a drag show as a particular Magical Girl or something like that. Like, I'm very curious about what the reception often is in Mm. those performances. (laughs) Yeah, well, I really wanted to cosplay as Candy from Candy Candy just because the show is so good. Mm-hmm. But I was like, well, that's such a rant. It was like a joke. Like, oh, I want to cosplay as her. And my friends were like, yeah, you should. and But not thinking I was going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but the character is very iconic, especially in other countries. Yeah. Obviously, the show never, well, for anyone who doesn't know, the show never caught on in the U.S., at all, unless you are a Spanish speaker. I'm not, but I live in San Diego. So we got a lot of the anime. Um, we were able to watch it in Spanish. Mm. Like Sailor Moon I was watching in Spanish. Magic mm-hmm. Knight Ray Earth. And Candy Candy was on a little bit. Like it was being rerun. And I'm sure I saw I saw a couple episodes. But it wasn't one that I, I, knew, I knew of. So I didn't really care at the time. Sure. Um, but I performed as Candy Candy in a drag show, not really thinking anyone's going to care. Like, I'm just doing it for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I actually had two people specifically come up afterwards. And um, it was a husband and a wife. And the wife was first. She was like, oh, thanks for including some anime in the show. And her husband, he was like, 
I think he grew up somewhere in, maybe in the Middle East where Candy Candy was popular. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh my gosh, I grew up grew up with the show and it took me a moment because um, where I perform they show I edit video clips on the screens mm-hmm. and so you could see like the logo and the character and then me and he was kind of kind of shocked and excited by that um, mm-hmm. and then I've done other shows um, as Cardcaptor Sakura mm-hmm. same thing not really thinking like if I do Sailor Moon performances like Sailor Moon is very specific like or like sure. everyone knows Sailor Moon even if they've never seen it right but for Sakura, I wasn't really thinking. It's a very popular show, but not. I wouldn't say it's on quite the level of Sailor Moon with like the normies, we'll say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I had quite a few people come up and they were very excited. And this guy was like, I was singing along in Japanese. And he was, you know, had a group <laughs> of friends that they were like, oh no, like we, we love this anime. So mm. it's kind of hit or miss, but I kind of feel like. Even if they don't really know the context, hmm. they'll enjoy it. And maybe they'll even look it up and, you know, find out what it is. Yeah, that's true. You can help uh, introduce people to a magical girl for the first time. So that's pretty exactly. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I know you did bring it up a little bit, but, you know, just getting into 1985 she for anyone who isn't familiar, we are going to talk primarily about the reboots today, but the context of the original series is important. And I haven't personally watched it. I have listened to a few podcasts that have talked about it. And, you know, I've certainly at least seen the images of the characters and so on. But I did kind of miss out on this particular piece of pop culture. But Shira began as a spinoff series of the He-Man franchise, which also has some, I think, one can argue that He-Man is a, a magical boy. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and I think especially in his most recent reboot that people have been talking about that, like he has a, like a transformation sequence and stuff. But yeah, so, mm-hmm. you know, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe was uh, started in 1983. And uh, in 1985, they uh, switched over to She-Ra and they, they combine them together. So from my understanding, Adora is uh, Adam's sister from another world or another universe this world of Etheria, he goes over there to find the person who deserves this sort of protection. And, you know, he helps Adora realize that, you know, she is the force captain of the Horde who is evil, but she doesn't realize that they are evil until she actually looks around. And that helps her to realize that she needs to become good and she becomes Shira and all of that. And then that's how her adventure begins. And a lot of the characters are the same in the reboot, but I think the most significant difference is that He-Man does, does not exist, which I think is interesting. Yeah, um, I can kind of touch on that for yes, a second if you'd like, um, just because I'm, I've looked into this a lot. I'm a fan of the franchise as a whole, Masters in the Universe. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of legal issues with He-Man and She-Ra because they've been sold to different companies. So oh. now they're technically separate properties. Hmm. Well, Universal has the rights for both, but DreamWorks has the rights for She-Ra specifically hmm. in media. And I believe He-Man, Mattel is producing their own shows and media mm-hmm. outside of Universal's involvement. It's, mm-hmm. it's a tricky situation. So, like, they can't use the He-Man characters in the She-Ra show for the most part. And they even had a lot of debates, or I don't, I'm not sure how they put it together. Even using the Horde mm-hmm. was tricky because the Horde is also has been used in the newer interpretations 
of He-Man and now as well as She-Ra. And that is because the Horde was part of the like He-Man toy line, not the She-Ra toy line. So it's a very Mm. confusing situation. And I think DreamWorks, they really did a good job of working around not being able to use the He-Man characters like in this Mm -hmm. version, um, the one that we're going to be talking about. He-Man doesn't exist, but they left it very open that he could exist in another (laughs) dimension. They just have no mention of it. (laughs) Mm, Sure, sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was kind of wondering, but, you know, having legal reasons why he doesn't exist so far in the series makes sense. But I do think it's interesting because for me, it almost felt like it worked out better that way because then this is just Adora's story rather than like, a story about her in relation to He-Man or Adam. And so Mm -hmm. I think in the end, it does work out really well. Mm -hmm. She-Ra gets a chance to shine as like the star again. (laughs) (laughs) Without being connected to an outside series, I guess. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So what is your history with the She-Ra franchise, both the original and this reboot? Well... Um, when I was a little boy, <laughs> I knew of He-Man. I'd probably watched the show and I might, I don't think I had any of the toys yet, but I was at a friend's house and he had like his entire living room covered with Masters of the Universe toys and we were just playing with them and the female characters are Tila and Evelyn and I was playing with those figures just because I was more drawn to female characters Mm -hmm. and then he's like oh you really like the girl characters do you know about she-ra and i was like no who's she-ra and then he whips out his one she-ra toy which is the little action figure doll they're the same size as action figures just with hair Mm -hmm. and um that was my first introduction to she-ra and then eventually i saw the show saw the there's a little mini the kind of recap you gave is like a, a edited movie Yes, yes. Secret of the Sword. And that was my obsession at some point uh, in childhood. I think the show, I was born in, I was going to give my age away, but I was born in 83. Oh, so yeah. I was a little too young when He-Man and She-Ra was massively popular, but the show was on, you know, reruns and VHS rentals, you know, for years up until into the 90s. So I kind of, I don't know what age I was when I discovered it. I just know that's my first memory. And then I rarely saw the toys in store. They were like, oh, maybe on clearance. I did see a couple, um, but mm. usually I got them secondhand and just trying to find all the all the different characters. We would call them the princesses now. In the 80s show, She-Ra was the only princess. Mm-hmm. All the other characters existed, but they didn't have that title. Mm. But I, I'm just going to refer to them as the princesses in general, just to get all the the main the main female characters are the mm-hmm. same characters that yes, were in yes. the new version. And that's kind of my history. And I've even loved the show, even you know, as a teenager going into high school, I remember like reconnecting with my kind of toy collection and old cartoons that I loved. Mm. And there's been new interpretations of He-Man through the years, but She-Ra was always kind of left in the dust. We just got like a little anniversary action figure, maybe at Comic-Con every few years, Mm. but I've always stayed kind of connected with the fandom online different you know forums and then you know social media eventually and i did do a gender bent shira cosplay 
I'm not sure what year, but a few years ago before the reboot happened. And then the announcement for the new show happened, which was a very vague announcement. It was just like DreamWorks is working on a She-Ra production. And I was like, well, yeah, whatever. Like, we'll see if it happens. <laughs> <laughs> then when I did see the first couple images, the new design that had leaked, I had a couple thoughts. First, I was like, mm, why do they got to do my girl dirty like that? <laughs> because I just didn't, I wasn't crazy about it. But the image was also a sketch. Like it wasn't even a full color image. Mm -hmm. And it was like a drawing of her um, kind of in a fighting pose. So like it wasn't necessarily the best detailed of her face. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people thought she looked like a boy. And I was like, yeah, well, there's no color in the image. So it's hard to, you know tell what this is going to look like but the new version of her was wearing shorts but in this image it kind of looked like she was wearing pants which is what oh. my cosplay looked like my and the design me and my friend came up with is i had instead of having a, a skirt i had pants and i had armor on mm. the shoulders which was not in the original but that was in this new design so i was kind of like a joke that i had is like wow somehow dreamworks found my design <laughs> and used it um <laughs> which obviously is not you know, the case, but um, I, I just thought it was a funny coincidence. Mm -hmm. And so I was excited that Shira was coming back in some kind of new show, but I wasn't as excited maybe once I saw the first couple images. I was like, oh, okay. It looked more like Steven Universe or Adventure Time, mm -hmm. which the original Shira, the character designs are like a little more detailed or a little more human like, at least like they're, I'm talking about their faces. Sure. And yeah. well, as a gay man, I loved the drag queen makeup that they all had in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, Shira had like very purple eyeshadow all the time. Hmm. Um, everything was very like colorful and I just wasn't sure what this new show was going to look like. And as the kind of premiere was getting closer, we saw more trailers and I was like, oh, this, this is starting to look really good just from the little clips. But I was even then the back of my mind, I was like, I'm really excited, but I don't want to be like let down. So I'm not hmm. going to like, I'm not going to go hard with my, um, <laughs> like excitement until the show actually debuts. Right. It's very interesting because, you know, as I mentioned already, I had no relationship to the series. I, I knew it existed. I'd heard the name, but it you know, it was before my time, I guess. So mm -hmm. it was just like, yeah, nothing I ever really thought about getting into or anything like that. I think part of it does have to do with like, you know, it is this cartoon that was made like to sell toys, which to be fair is most magical girl series. <laughs> Very true. I guess I never really talked to a lot of fans maybe is why, but yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I remember when, when they started to talk about the reboot coming out and like kind of seeing, I think the first thing was like seeing the reactions from fans I think that the the different kinds of reactions were very interesting, but yeah, I think initially were generally kind of negative from, you know, especially people who were fans of the original show. And I think this also comes with anytime you have a reboot, this kind of thing does happen. So I didn't really have any feelings about it, but I just thought it was interesting. I think especially in terms of like, for example, I feel like the main thing I kept seeing was people who were complaining that Shira wasn't sexy anymore. And I was like, well, okay, mm -hmm. it's not for you. <laughs> yeah, I did see a little bit of that at the time. Mm -hmm. I guess someone complained that Shira's not sexy isn't the worst complaint, but I, mm -hmm. <laughs> I've seen worse com comparisons once the show debuted, I guess. Mm -hmm. But also at the same time, 
the moment the show came out, like I was there at midnight. Okay. Like I was on Netflix <laughs> pressing like reload. I was yeah. waiting, you know, mm-hmm. and I think I made it through a few episodes before falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> there was those reactions. And then at the same time, it suddenly got this like boom of like positive buzz from some, from fans as well, like of the original that you maybe like me were apprehensive or wasn't sure what we were going to get. And then also just this whole other community of just animation fans or just, you know, people Mm. in the LGBT community Mm. just kind of jumping on this new show from, you know, hearing about other people that, you know, it was so good. Mm. And I was like, wow, something I love is actually going to be popular again. Like, (laughs) so I kind of saw both sides. So I saw the negative coming with the positive, but the positive reactions definitely outweighing all the negative at least that was my perspective at the time. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I do think we definitely have to mention like this series has won several Eisner Awards, is Emmy and the Glad Media Award. Like this is a big series and it's headed by Andy Stevenson. And, you know, I think they came out as non-binary shortly after the series premiered. You know, it is definitely worth noting that like this is... I think one of the reasons why it was such a successful series for queer representation, which we don't see a lot in season one, I am aware of things that happen later, <laughs> but <laughs> certainly right. there are there are hints in the first season to be sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And as a viewer watching it as it debuted, I didn't really know that that was going to exist. I think there had been like rumors about it or just because it was a DreamWorks production. Mm -hmm. This is right after Voltron. Voltron hadn't ended yet, but Voltron was kind of near its run. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if you have you watched the um, DreamWorks Voltron show. I have not, but I definitely have heard about it. I have a lot of friends who did definitely watch Mm -hmm. the series, so. I actually only watched it this year in full. I, I was watching it a little bit when it came out and then I just kind of forgot about it. But I think the fan reaction to Voltron is the reason why we have She-Ra oh. um, produced hmm. the way it is because spoilers for Voltron for anyone listening. I'm speaking more of, of the fans, not necessarily the show itself. The fandom was the majority were in the LGBT community Mm-hmm. And they were kind of um, loving the hints of LGBT representation, which we, which you've seen in Shira season one, is all in Voltron, mm. as well as some characters um, having representation for us. Yeah, I watched the show later, so I'm coming from a different perspective than maybe the Voltron fans at the time. Sure, but I, from what I understand, there was a outcry of fans being angry at the way certain characters were treated even though we did get representation it was just very downplayed Hmm. whether that was on like i don't know the heads of dreamworks productions versus the writers i'm not 100 percent sure on that i've kind of looked it up a little bit but i feel like um because voltron was I guess, accepted and loved so much by that community. That's, this is my um, opinion that DreamWorks felt like we can we can do this even better with our next show, which was She-Ra. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of my opinion. And, and that's kind of the fr- perspective that I think most fans have, because a lot of She-Ra fans were fans of Ultron as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, if you're already seeing the success and like kind of hope from one franchise and seeing that they're working on something new of course you know these are both uh, reboots but in any case like working on a new series in, in general i could definitely see a lot of hope there and yeah i do think it's really interesting to see 
it does really stand out in a way, I think, because it is so, I guess, out there in comparison to other series, even like other cartoons now, let alone like compared to other Magical Girl series. But yeah, <laughs> so I guess we should get started talking about the actual story, which is very exciting. Again, like I am, I'm very excited to talk about this uh, series, and I'm also very excited to continue watching it. It's just so, it's so lovely. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So the first season, uh, again from 2018. So if if I uh, am hearing correctly this all debuted like this all was released at once right so you could just kind of binge it all in one day <laughs> if you wanted yeah the whole season was in one day some of the other seasons had like little half releases but the first season mm-hmm. bam all at once great so yeah we do start again with uh looking at adora you know she had grown up in the horde raised by shadow weaver who is not exactly her mother, but is kind of like a mother. It's very clear that's their relationship. And she grew up in this place called the Fright Zone. And her best friend, Katra, is a a major character that, like, their relationship is, again, very, very interesting. They're very clearly, like, very close. But they have these ideas of, like, one day they're going to, you know, achieve this, like, this role of, um, what's it called? The Force Captain. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, like, be able to move up in the horde and then get out of there basically <laughs> yeah it's very interesting and like i think especially the way the series opens up you see like there are these like fight simulations where they're fighting these princesses and the princesses look so monstrous and it sounds really interesting like right off the bat because you're hearing the word princess which us the viewer understands princesses to be very different so i think there's a very interesting thing going on in general with this story and with the horde in terms of like how like i guess it's like propaganda can really affect your perspective of the world right yeah and i feel like this the the show kind of starts out being like the original show also does this um, in a different way but it's kind of like there's all of like brainwashing or like who is evil who is good mm-hmm. like you're kind of stuck in the middle not knowing as a viewer and as the emotions of the characters are coming out right yeah absolutely and i think it's really interesting because it's like you know you're seeing it the way they see it so it's like wait are the princesses evil what's going on right <laughs> there's this one this day like in order to i guess celebrate and kind of run away for a moment adora and katra go into the whispering woods nearby the fright zone and that's where adora finds this sword and has this very interesting connection to it that she doesn't understand and so she decides to go back for it later and that's when she ends up meeting glimmer and beau who end up becoming her friends but at first it's a very interesting beginning <laughs> to a friendship i think <laughs> Because, of course, they don't trust her. She's wearing a Horde uniform. And it's very clear that, like, she realizes upon, like, actually meeting other people that, like, the Horde is a terrifying kind of image for people. That's like they have been doing terrible things. They're clearly oppressing people and taking over and invading and so on. And it's very interesting to see that immediate difference. And it's like, oh, wait, no, Adora is technically fighting on the side of evil, but she didn't realize it. And exactly yeah yeah but through uh using this sword she finds out that she has the ability to transform into this giant woman named shira (laughs) and she has in her transformation sequence she does like actually 
grow in size and everything which is interesting mm-hmm. and it's a full like magical girl transformation absolutely yes it's a very it's definitely a sailor moon yes. inspired definitely <laughs> i mean she always had that transformation sequence in mm-hmm. the original like that's why i he-man and she were do seem very magical girl is because they do use like stock animation right. a lot for like their attacks and their um, transformations. But this one, they made it look very magical girl. Yes, yes. It's a definitely a great one. So I really enjoy it. <laughs> Always fun to watch. But yeah, so it becomes this really interesting thing where it's like she is Shira and she learns that she can read the language of the first ones who we don't really know who the first ones are, but like their references, these, these ancient people mm-hmm. of Etheria who are no longer around. And, you know, as they go through, you know, different adventures, Glimmer and Bo learn to trust Adora. And they realize that, you know, they need Shira because Shira is like this kind of legendary figure. And there's this whole idea that like many princesses before her have been Shira also. And as you mentioned, you know, we have these other characters that we know as the princesses of power, as the title suggests. <laughs> and I loved like even for the the opening song uh, which is also just a really great song the song is lit okay (laughs) (laughs) you know we see that there are all these other characters who also have powers and so it's very interesting to like give them all the title of princess and it becomes a very significant thing down the line but basically what we get throughout the series is adora learning to become part of the rebellion against the horde and meanwhile, Katra feels extremely betrayed, of course, and Katra is trying to get Adora back, but also is, you know, dealing with the fact that like she is being punished for Adora not being around and all these things. And it turns out that there had been a full group of princesses all working together against the Horde, but something had happened in the past which had caused them all to disband. And so they're trying to have Shira bring everyone back. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very interesting, you know, start. And you can definitely see that because this is the first season, you know, they're taking the time to introduce all these characters and so on. So, you know, obviously we spend the most time with Glimmer, but there's also Princess Perfuma and Mermista and then Entrapta, who's very, very interesting. <laughs> One of my favorites. Yes, yes. <laughs> From my understanding, basically, all the major characters that we see were also in the original series. They were. Mm-hmm. We haven't touched on this, though, that the new designs are more um, ethnically diverse and mm-hmm. different body types. Oh, yeah, definitely. Versus the original, where most of the characters were white or white presenting and natasa was the only black female character at least oh in the original and she was only in well one episode maybe two (laughs) Mm. yeah i see which is the only amount she's in this uh, first season but (laughs) (laughs) but we know there's more so it's fine we know there's more and there's also more characters that definitely lots every race is being kind of identified or hinted at you sometimes we don't know necessarily the race of the character but their skin color is different than others yeah exactly like this is we're talking about a different world so when it comes to race it's not exactly you know going to be one-to-one with earth but exactly but you can see that like yes there is a great diversity in both body type and skin tone so that's really good yeah definitely a great change from the original it's a reboot it's going to be there are different characters but we definitely see a lot of that 
And I think it's really great, of course. So do you want to talk a bit more in detail about the first two episodes as we you know, introduce Adora and kind of establish our world and our story? Um, there is the one moment that I always think of is, I think it's the second episode or so, where like Catra had that one chance to like go with She-Ra mm-hmm. or to go with Adora. And, you know, she like kind of... I think she yells at her and says, well, you left me behind. And she's like, I'm coming back for you. And that is like the whole setup of this entire show is based on this one moment in particular mm. that could have gone differently yeah. between them. And I think about that one a lot as a fan of the show. That's just a very intense moment um, between, yeah. you know, two friendships. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or one friendship between two people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> friendship between them is, you know, obviously a very major part of the whole series you know they are best friends it is also you know something that we see a bit more in depth later on in the season and it, it is very you know frustrating but also very good storytelling to kind of watch Katra as she deals with both the oppressive force of living under the horde and being part of the horde and then also like her clear desire to be with her best friend and you know of that but yeah she does you know naturally feel a bit abandoned and everything right yeah but it's yeah it is a definitely a powerful scene (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah as i said before you know one by one we get some time to meet all these different characters we meet glimmer's mother queen angela who is kind of a i guess a major leader for the rebellion and also just for everyone in general i think that's the same episode where swift wind is introduced oh yes yes it's very interesting (laughs) a little backstory on the production they originally weren't using swift wind in the show at all and uh, maybe mattel or dreamworks they were telling the writing team no you have to include her horse to ride on like this is very specific (laughs) for the show or for like i guess for any kind of um I don't know, like kind of superhero that has like a trusty steed. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I, I'm not sure when that was added, but this is so maybe that's why the character has is more of like a comedy relief in definitely this first few episodes. But most of the series, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I do think it is interesting. Like I kind of also vaguely was aware of Swiftwind, but yeah, Swiftwind's like introduction is very interesting because like his like introduction is very much like an accident (laughs) like she's trying to figure out her powers and then like just (laughs) accidentally turns a horse magical and he's not around for most of the show but like when he does come back it is very funny and so you have this like interesting comedic relief and stuff but like i mean i totally understand wanting to keep swiftwind even if it's just because like you need that toy (laughs) Um, yeah yeah but it's also, like, very useful. Yeah. Well, in the original show, she was always on Swift Wind mm. to travel, basically. And we were saying it's kind of random how he becomes Swift Wind. It was also random in the 80s show. Oh. The first <laughs> scene that She-Ra transforms in, she jumps out of a window and just lands on... I can't remember in if this show, Swift Wind has, like, an alter ego at all. I think he's just always Swift Wind. Yeah. But the horse's name was Spirit. And she just jumps on her own horse and he just becomes Swiftwind and he starts, <laughs> he can speak now and he's like, I'm Swiftwind and I'm, you know, whatever, I'm your trusty steed. So it was also kind of random. <laughs> so as yeah. a fan, I kind of enjoyed that. It was just kind of 
mm-hmm. a little throwback almost. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because like, yeah, in this one, I think if he had a name before, we didn't know it, but it was like some yeah. random person's horse. <laughs> yeah. It was very good. So yeah, that that's, you know, Swiftwind's around, not a recurring character, at least in the first season. He's created and he does come back later, gets to be important. But uh, yeah, and then, you know, for the most part, it's just, you know, Glimmer and Bo and Adora going on these these missions to meet each one. So for anyone who doesn't know or isn't familiar with these characters, so Princess Perfuma is, her powers are very much based in nature. And, you know, she's also a very peaceful character, which kind of goes against the whole idea of a rebellion and stuff she's trying to stay like pacifistic and and all of that but she realizes you know like she needs to also participate in the fight we realize we need to go to see princess Vermista, but in order to do that they need the help of uh, captain seahawk <laughs> who's a very interesting character <laughs> yeah and um seahawk in the original show was actually adora's love interest oh yeah it's kind of not really talked about too much because Seahawk is um, Remista's love interest in this series. I believe it's already established in that first episode where they appear together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they go to the prom together, so it's not a spoiler. Yeah. If you've seen the first <laughs> season. Yeah, he's her love interest in the original show, but he's a recurring character, but there's no resolve. Like, there's no official relationship. Mm-hmm. There's just kind of, oh, it's him and Adora. He doesn't know that Adora is She-Ra. That's actually a, one thing we haven't talked about at all. Mm-hmm. The original show, Shira was a secret identity, and in this interpretation, basically everyone knows that Adora is Shira. Yes, that's not part of the element of the story because in the original show, that was a kind of a big deal. No one knew who He Man or Shira was, and I saw someone mention this at a convention that for maybe um, LGBT youth, um, we kind of identified with those storylines because we had to keep a part of ourselves a secret Mm -hmm. from the world and then in other places or to other people we could be ourselves or let them into that part of our lives Mm. and some people see it as a positive way for both versions of these stories because in this new version of she-ra she doesn't have to keep it a secret necessarily Mm. it's just a normal thing which is kind of parallel to how we think we are doing in current times where you can be out with yourself in any way and um, be okay, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's a, definitely a very good point and very good like kind of literary read that I did not pick up on, but makes a lot of sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. But again, you know, I haven't watched the original series, so I didn't really even know about that aspect. Yeah, thank you for that insight. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, also in this episode, we get introduced to Scorpia, who is a member of the Horde and also a princess, but a princess whose, um, I guess, kingdom was taken over by the Horde. So now she's just the force captain, but she's kind of like becomes um, Katra's equal and clearly just really wants to be best friends with Katra, mm-hmm. at least. She's so cute. Yeah, she's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so now we regularly see those two working together uh, as the series progresses. Yeah, I guess that's all I had to say about that particular thing. And then, as I mentioned after that, we meet Entrapta, who is a little bit different from the other princesses. She is very much an engineer. She has this magical hair that she uses to, like, 
do all sorts of things. It's very fun. <laughs> She's a bit of a nerd. She's also very obsessed mm-hmm, with the yeah. first ones, and that gets her into a lot of trouble all the time. But she's very fun, and she's also like just really fun to watch because she is so easily distracted because she just loves technology <laughs> that much. <laughs> yeah, she's a really fun character. It's sort of officially confirmed that she was supposed to kind of represent a character that was uh, on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. It's not very specific, but the writers did say that they were actually basing her on a male person who was on part of their team. I don't remember the exact details mm-hmm. um, that he was like the big influence on Entrapta's personality. And, and I just thought that was a really nice oh, yeah. little add-in for, to the character. She's one of my favorite characters in the show and just has such a lot of funny moments <laughs> with um, with Shira and with Katra and with, just with all the dynamics of the characters. Yeah, I think it's interesting because like I definitely picked up on that. You know, they don't use any specific language to describe her, but it's kind of clear that like her brain just straight up works differently from everyone mm-hmm. else's. And, you know, it's to the benefit most of the time of everyone else, but it can get distracting and it can also cause trouble for her again because she's just so like, in love with technology that she kind of forgets <laughs> everything else. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't know how people work, but she knows how machines work. Yeah, definitely. But yeah. And then as they keep going, we learn you know more about Shadow Weaver as they go to Mysticore. And they we kind of see that Shadow Weaver used to be like a, a source of good. She used to be a, a, a magician or yeah, I guess magicians are where they use. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That whole thing was interesting, like trying to like kind of help Adora to learn how to relax and everything because she has just Mm -hmm. clearly been through so much trauma just being in the fright zone and growing up there. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, and then we get to the princess prom. I guess this should be probably the kind of spoiler warning points for anyone who hasn't watched the series. Um, Again, I think everyone would enjoy it if they love Magical Girls, if they haven't seen this yet really should check it out it's so good but yeah let's talk about the princess prom now we're gonna deep dive hold on (laughs) yes well i think for like princess prom as a viewer i was like oh they're not afraid to show two girls dancing together Mm -hmm. and things like that I think that's going on a lot in this episode, whether it was obvious or not. Like, obviously, there's a scene where Shira and Katra are dancing, but it, there's other characters in the background where it doesn't matter the gender of the characters. Like, we're here at a prom. <laughs> oh, I guess we didn't mention that it's a. It was an exclusive event. All the princesses were invited. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of rules about the princess prom. <laughs> <laughs> there's like this huge. This huge scroll that has all the rules and, you know, Odora makes a big fuss of trying to learn everything. And she kind of has like this interesting, like military strategy approach to trying to understand all the rules. It's very fun. (laughs) (laughs) But Scorpia is also a princess, which means she is invited to the prom as well. As she should be. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And it's very interesting again, because like, you know, Katra comes as a plus one. So it's like... They don't really use the term date, and it's very interesting because this is also the episode where we see, like, Bo goes with Perfuma, and it's not really mm-hmm. shown to be romantic. It's always, like, talked about as in terms of, like, well, you know, we're all friends or whatever, but Glimmer, it definitely takes it personally, and there's this interesting thing where it's, like, 
she's worried about their friendship and she's acting really weird and Bo is more or less her only friend her only like regular friends but even with like people going together it's never really specified that it's like romantic or friendly like they kind of leave the open to interpretation which i think is really interesting (laughs) there's definitely a little bit of like a jealousy with she's not really mad at perfuma she's just mad at Bo for like not being included the way they always have been Mm -hmm. and i did really love that catra was wearing a suit oh my god it's such a good look I think this is where the the fandom kind of took on a life of its own mm-hmm. <laughs> at this point too with this whole episode. Yeah. It's a very important episode. I wouldn't not necessarily to the storyline there is things that have to do with it, but it was just to set up the dynamics of the characters. Yeah, definitely. I think the characters like get this really interesting moment to shine. We also get introduced to Princess Frosta because it yes, is her kingdom Frosta. that this prom is in and she's mm-hmm. very interesting. Yeah. She's one of the bigger departures from the 80s series, actually. Oh, okay. Because Frosta was one of my favorites in the original, and she was a much different character. Not just her design, but her, um, I want to say maybe her powers are sort of similar. She's just kind of like Iceman from X-Men, can like mm-hmm. shoot ice and fly on ice sure well in this first episode i'm basing her personality she's very like stubborn and mean and to the princesses at first Mm -hmm. and i feel like she's kind of ish like that for the rest of the show it's not really a spoiler there i guess but (laughs) uh the in the original show she was very funny and very like sassy i guess would be i'm trying to just see if she has another character that she's similar to now in Mm -hmm. this series to compare her to um, but she was also very flirty. Oh. Obviously, He-Man's not in this show, but she was very much like the unwanted love interest of He-Man. <laughs> she was wow. like always like hanging on his arm and just like, oh, He-Man, just kind of innocently like trying to kind of hint at her. There might have been an episode where they kissed or something too. Mm-hmm. So I was really excited to see Frosta. And then I was like, oh, that's Frosta? Oh, okay. Slightly <laughs> disappointed, but we got to see where this takes us. Uh-huh, <laughs> it was just uh-huh. an interesting rewrite, I guess, of that personality. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm looking at, like, just searching for Frosta in the original version, and I just see a lot of pictures of her hanging out around He-Man. <laughs> so it's very funny. Yeah, very interesting. But yeah, I could definitely see how there would be, like, a that's a pretty big shift in personality. But I feel like in this show, these are not main characters, Mm -hmm. so you can do whatever you want when you rewrite them. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, like Frosta might not have been my favorite, like, redesign or reuse of, like, a character's kind of name into the show. But Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting that it all works out in some way. She's, I think, the youngest of the princesses. She's Mm -hmm. She's very much still a child and... She has this strong sense of, like, the rules and stuff. I guess she has a cold personality, if you will. She, yeah. <laughs> you know, because, like, <laughs> one thing about the princess prom is, like, you know, even though, of course, um, we know that Scorpia is from the Horde and she's with Catcher, who's also of the Horde, there's a whole thing where it's, like, there's no uh, no worries about that here. Like, you don't deal with the ideas of war and so you can't fight at princess prom. And so Adora gets in trouble for that and actually go so far as to get removed because she is very suspicious of Ketra, obviously yeah. and meanwhile it turns out that like Scorpia has been the one who was for this one they were like planting bombs and stuff and you know Frost is able to uh, to deal with the situation but 
it was a very interesting kind of thing to see like the idea of like what rules are important versus like what's actually going on and stuff and it, it was a good interesting episode and you know that kind of also finalizes like all the characters that we have it's it's like you know we get to see all the characters come back for this episode and that helps uh, as well to kind of establish everyone's dynamic so yeah it's just a very very good episode <laughs> yeah it had a really good dramatic ending i do remember that <laughs> yes definitely i think adora saved katra mm-hmm. at one part yes and then you kind of get the dynamic like katra at least doesn't actually hate adora it's just a complicated situation definitely but yeah and so it's at the end of this episode that you know katra has managed to steal adora's sword which means she can no longer become shira and at the same time, they're also able to kidnap Glibmer and Bo. It was very scary. And now Adora has to try to do something about it, but she can't become Shira. She doesn't know what to do. And um, the next episode, she's able to get the help of all the other princesses that they have uh, collected so far, plus Seahawk. He's an honorary princess. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He is important uh, and he does serve a purpose in in the fight so you know we're glad Mm -hmm. he's there (laughs) yeah but you know she gets them to come with her to the fright zone to rescue glimmer and bow the plan does not go exactly as they hoped you know as they're all escaping they're going through these like trap doors right and it seems like yeah. yeah each one kind of like blows up whatever's inside it before you can go on to the next thing i guess it's like a safety measure for enemies or whatever and it's in yeah. that that we seem to see that uh, Entrapta has also been captured. And so we presume that she has died in this rescue. There's also some interesting stuff going on where like Glimmer is trapped with Shadow Weaver, who, you know, is really like Hordak is the leader of the Horde. But we see mostly Shadow Weaver as like the main villain in the first season. And she really is like quite terrifying in this episode and it gets pretty intense like adora tries to sacrifice herself for glimmer and shadow weaver says she's going to uh, uh wipe adora's memories and you know restore to how she was before to forget that she was shira forget that she had all these friends mm-hmm. it's really scary you think like oh no is this gonna happen but glimmer who's uh, main you know power is uh, teleportation she is able to free herself she knocks out Shadow Weaver and they escape. But yeah, just like a lot. And then Yeah, a lot happens. A lot this is a very <laughs> it's a very eventful episode. It's very, very like um one of the more action packed episodes too. Yes, yes. Uh there's so much that happens. And at the end, as they're leaving, Katra appears with Adora's sword and then gives it to her before they leave. And it's like, oh She does, that's right. What is happening here? <laughs> yeah. So we're seeing, again, like, more signs that Katra might be not so bad after all, but we're not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I do like the title of the episode is No Princess Left Behind. Mm. I think that's kind of kind of telling on the, the whole episode. Yes, yes. So it's it's interesting. And then in the next episode, you know, everyone is kind of dealing with the loss of Entrapta. They think, you know, she has died and... They kind of don't know what to do with themselves. The other princesses kind of realize the gravity of the battle against the Horde. And uh, meanwhile, Glimmer 
can't use her magic uh, as she could before. She keeps like kind of glitching out and stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, and that's really intense because she's trying to not let her mother see what happened because she's afraid of worrying her and that like she can't be allowed to like keep fighting and so on. I don't know if we mentioned they don't have a, a good relationship either. <laughs> yeah. Her and her mother. Their relationship is pretty interesting. It's like they're both on the same side, right? Obviously, they want to fight the Horde, mm-hmm. but Queen Angela doesn't really want to have Glimmer like fight, you know, because she doesn't want to risk losing her. And we definitely get more into like the reasoning and everything in this episode. But yeah, they they are fighting all the time about like strategy and so on with the main fight. So it's very interesting. And yeah, and I don't know if we mentioned, I don't know if it's in this episode or in like the first couple episodes that Glimmer's father died in one of the battles. Yes. And that's why Queen Angela is so hesitant to have her out there mm-hmm. fighting. Which is fair, you know, I'm not trying to, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think the, this series really does a great job of, like, helping you to, you know, uh, sympathize with all the characters. So Right. Even the villains you mm. sympathize with a little bit, even in this first season. Yeah, definitely. So it's a very reasonable thing. And they do talk about that a bit more. It turns out that, like, Angela blames herself for the loss of Glimmer's father, but, like, never really talked to Glimmer about it. Yeah. So, yeah, we do get to see that as well. And then, meanwhile, over back in the Fright Zone, you know, Shadow Weaver starts to get in trouble because she knew that Adora was Shira, but didn't tell Hordak. And meanwhile, Catra and Scorpia find Entrapta. It turns out she's totally fine. Um, somehow was able to protect herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, again, technology and so on. Um, but... Catra is able to convince Entrapta to work with the Horde and, you know, tells her like, well, clearly the others abandoned you because they're not coming back for you or, you know, whatever. So it's it's kind of sad. Yeah, that part hit me real hard. I was like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. I'm coming in as the old 80s kid as well again. Okay. This is really interesting as a fan because um, Entrapta in the original series is only a member of the Horde. Oh. She's not a member of the Rebellion. And she's also a very minor character. I think she's only in two episodes. She might have been in, like, a lot of the little, like, storybooks. Mm-hmm. She did, like, have, like, the moving hair, but I wouldn't say that that was kind of the only similarities. They kind of grew a lot on this character's personality, but that is kind of, I guess, where they got the idea to have this character join the horde in this part of the season mm-hmm. is because she was originally part of the horde mm. so i just thought as a as an old school fan i was like oh that's a little throwback for me mm. wow <laughs> her hair looks incredible in the original <laughs> i'm looking her up right now it, oh my god yeah that was a toy that i definitely had with her hair like that all wrapped around mm-hmm. i would love a toy of her from the new show but they did not make one. <laughs> oh my god they should she's so great She's definitely toy worthy. Um, but yeah, that's so interesting because like she was working with the Horde, but it doesn't really feel like she is evil or anything. She just doesn't really have any sense of like yeah. worrying about right and wrong because she's just... She loves their technology. I think that was the yeah the point in that part of the episode. Like, ooh, what can she do? <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing was like, like working with their technology and also like the fact that they can possibly work with the first one's technology and in combination to mm-hmm. help strengthen everything. And she's like not really worried about what they're trying to do with that. It's just all about 
you know, what can she do? Like, she's just trying to see what the technology is. You know, that's her main thing. But yeah, it's pretty cool, pretty interesting. And again, like, she's just a lot of fun to see. There's like kind of this really funny running gag at the end where she's supposed to be captured and like have her arms and legs bound and also her hair bound. (laughs) But like she can slip out of it so easily. It's like a not a thing. So, you know, every time she like like someone comes back, she's like, oh, let me go back and hide back in the thing. It's like very silly. (laughs) I think she says, I'll go back to being captured. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's very funny. It's so funny. Yeah. So it's with that, that Kacho takes herself on a mission to find more information about the first ones and meanwhile Adora is going to try to find more information about her powers as Shira in attempts to save Glimmer and that leads us to a very interesting episode episode 11 promise mm-hmm. so this is where they end up kind of in the same spot because Catra finds Adora and follows her to this place called the Beacon. And we see this thing, and this also, we see a little bit at the very beginning of the season with, like, this place that looks very otherworldly and, like, very high technology. And they have all these, like, automated figures that can talk to her. But only when she is uh, Shira. If Adora tries to talk as herself, it doesn't work. We have, like, all these, like, holograms and stuff. And it's here that things don't work out exactly. And so the AI system security is trying to capture Adora and Katra. And for some reason, this leads to, like, this really interesting thing where they keep getting trapped in their own memories. And so we get to see all these different scenes of them growing up in the Fright Zone. And, like, clearly just the, the strength of their friendship from even very early on. And also the way that Adora was treated versus Catra, especially by Shadow Weaver. Yeah, and it is very intense. And do you have any thoughts about this episode? Yeah, I think <laughs> this is the episode where we see how much they really care about each other. Mm. And um, maybe it's hinted at that it's possibly like romantic feelings. Mm-hmm. At least that's how I interpreted it um, yeah. when I watched it the first time. <laughs> it's only hinted at. I wouldn't say it's like, mm. I mean, you can have a love for someone who's your friend. Right. You know, or like a family member mm-hmm. as well. But I think it's kind of hinted at that. Like, it's kind of like that. It's maybe a little different. Mm. And I just remember this episode is very emotional, like back and forth, like they're fighting I think they're holding hands at some parts where they're running to the different rooms. Maybe that's where I'm, I'm remembering that kind of feeling coming from. Mm-hmm. And there's the whole fight about like, well, why did she give her the sword back? Mm. And, and I think she says, it's not because I like you or anything, <laughs> <laughs> which is like something that you say when you, you know, have feelings for someone that you don't want them to know. That's a common, like maybe like a childhood innocence fighting thing that someone might say Hmm. yeah definitely i mean regarding the like subtext between adora and katra i'm not going to lie i saw it from episode one (laughs) yeah i was like oh these two should date (laughs) yeah it's there but already yeah but the thing this episode pushes it like you're like oh it wasn't just Mm -hmm. i hate to say it like this they weren't just gay baiting oh yeah yeah but that's really the only way I guess I could put that into um, Mm -hmm. casual terms. (laughs) This is something that is definitely, you know, important to talk about when it comes to representation in particular of queer characters. It's like, yeah, we do have that issue a lot with like lots of characters where 
there's like a lot of subtext and it looks like, oh, maybe you can read this story as being something romantic, but then it never actually comes to any fruition. So this is definitely, you know, showing a lot more like of a deeper. Yeah, it's it's definitely like really, again, very readable as a a romantic situation, like a very, Mm -hmm. you know, a very deep friendship at the very least. So, yeah, it's it's like a really intense and, you know, again, lots of fighting. And meanwhile, yeah, Adora and Catra, like they end up, it's kind of really disorienting because the way that it works, like these kind of visions, like send them into like, like they keep them moving around. And then it turns out that like, the place that they're in in reality looks a little different. And this eventually leads Adora to be like hanging off the edge of a cliff and Katra is the only one who could possibly save her. We kind of already had seen this in the reverse before, but mm-hmm. Katra lets her go, and it's very sad. Yeah. Yeah, and then finally, Adora has to let go herself because that's what Light Hope tells her to do. And Light Hope is like this figure that she keeps seeing when she is uh, using the sword or like talking to the AI and stuff. So she falls and. Again, we're like, you know, at the very end here, the last episode, it's very, very intense. A lot of stuff happens, a lot of action. Generally a very good finale, very clearly leading to a new season. (laughs) But yeah, so (laughs) for episode 12, Adora learns that she, with Light Hope, has to become Shira, like, to Shira's, I guess, full potential, which would mean not participating in the current battle against the Horde because she would need to stay and train in the crystal castle oh yes and also entrapta who has like one small piece of first one's tech has been figuring out on her own the way things work with etheria like so we're kind of learning it at the same time from both adora's experience as well as uh, entrapta's engineering skills so we kind of understand that there are these different stones all around etheria that possess this power and they all work together and they are all part of the planet Mm -hmm. so if you overpower one it removes the power of the others it's kind of a a whole like system of balance and stuff so and the horde has um scorpia's yes runestones called the black garnet yes yes and scorpia doesn't know how to use it so Mm -hmm. that's why it's there for shadow weaver yeah (laughs) we see like this you know this rune zone from the beginning it's something that shadow weaver uses to like strengthen her own powers and so on so it turns out it's a little bit more even more important than we realize but Mm -hmm. yeah entrapta just being the little nerd that she is she's like oh let's just (laughs) try to power up this rune zone see see what happens and uh it turns out that it weakens everyone else and it obviously causes a lot of uh, problems and everyone's very worried because then the horde is going after bright moon which is where you know glimmer is from that's that's her kingdom Mm -hmm. so everyone has to go and fight and they're sending out messages to all the princesses who at this point in time have you know left the rebellion and all that so it's a lot of again a lot happens so much happens like they've dispersed and now they want to call them back together yeah it's a very, very um, exciting and scary final episode, you know, where we have this, you know, Catra leading this invasion and uh, everyone is coming to defend and everyone is trying as much as possible, like, to defend as they're trying to, you know, hope that the other princesses might come. 
it's very interesting. We see, you know, how like a glimmer is able to finally connect back with her uh, runestone, which is the moonstone of Bright Moon, and uh, protect her mother. And it's just the, uh, I don't know, there's so much that happens. But is there anything in particular you want to talk about with this final battle? <laughs> um, yeah, like the la- very last episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's when we finally see the princesses come together. Mm-hmm. This kind of few scenes are like very magical girl anime, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing them fight together, it's, you know, very reminiscent of Sailor Moon. You could definitely see the influences there. Mm. And this is interesting. Shira has a new <laughs> outfit. Oh, yeah. In this episode. And I don't want to like spoil it. But she never wears this again, and it's not explained why she has a new <laughs> a new outfit. You would kind of think, as a Magical Girl fan, you, oh, like, a little upgrade is pretty normal. Yeah. You know, every season or so. And I thought this was going to be something that she wears again, but never seen again. Mm. Not this particular <laughs> outfit. There's a really good shot. I can't remember if it's the very end of the episode, or it's right before they go into battle, where it's all the characters like on top of the castle on top of a mountain and there's like a rainbow behind them mm-hmm. it's very lgbt plus <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's also a recreation of the very last shot of the 80s opening theme um where you see all the characters in basically the same similar pose so that was very cool i think it's right before they go into battle and i will say the battle the fight scenes in this are not they're not very typical of, say, Magical Girl. They're, and I wouldn't say they're super violent, but they're just straight up punch and kick people. Yeah, yeah. You know, you might see that in, like, Pretty Cure, uh, yeah. maybe. But other than that, they draw a cool, a, a very nice line of, like, Magical Girl show for girls, you know, supposed to be for, like, young girls versus, like, action-packed show hmm. for boys, which is sort of how the 80s show was, except for they couldn't physically punch mm-hmm. anybody. That was, like, part of the rules of... The writing and the television oh interesting they can only kick and fight robots mm. which i think they do do in this episode they're fighting like the hordes of robots but it's a little more violent than i was expecting i was like oh that's cool uh, you know you see all these <laughs> kick-ass, uh, mostly girls you know fighting yeah um, yeah yeah you know at the end we do get the final like very much at the last minute all the other princesses do come back and we do get to see them kind of combine their powers in fun ways which is really exciting Mm -hmm. and you know we kind of see like you know everyone's going to work together and and all of that and this is also when we see two more princesses for the first time oh natasa and spinderella are actually fighting yeah (laughs) are actually showing up (laughs) yeah yeah so i can assume that they have a stronger you know um like appearance later on in the series but for now that's what we have mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah so very much like just a very exciting finale and you know they are able to successfully defend bright moon and the horde does retreat but it's very clear that like they're only going to come back the battle is definitely not finished in <laughs> there yeah yeah, and they restore the balance of the runestones. I think that was kind of the mm-hmm. the finale on their side. And then Hordak makes Katra the the like second in command or like the force. Well, I think she already was the force captain mm-hmm. at that point. But yeah, I think that's the very last scene actually. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that's right. So pretty exciting, pretty scary because like 
we kind of understand that like she's not necessarily inherently like bad herself but she feels like she needs to do bad things because of the society she's Mm in i'm very curious especially with a catra's character in terms of like how she differs from the original series oh yeah well in the original series that is part of the storyline where so adora was the force captain Mm -hmm. and then um when she does leave kind of like in how this series starts out there's no real like reasoning behind it like catra just takes over as the force captain Mm -hmm. and her abilities are way different in the 80s. Um, like, she can physically turn into a cat. Oh. Hmm. Her mask that she has, everyone kind of compares it to Scarlet Scarlet Witch. Oh, yeah. yeah sure. From the Avengers. Um, she pulls down this mask, and then she can become a cat. And the reason she has this ability is because she stole the mask from, like, a race of cat people. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, there's a whole episode about it. It's a really kind of good episode. Mm-hmm. Kind of like later on, they kind of, this doesn't happen in the new show, but there is kind of little hints of the original character more, like maybe her abilities more a little bit mm-hmm. later on in the series. So she becomes the force captain. And there is the dynamic of Katra and She-Ra are always fighting with each other. Mm. But I think it's more in the... um storybooks that were released um kind of like read-along books hmm. the weird thing with 80s she-ra and, and he-man is that nothing was really consistent as far as the toys and the show and the like merchandise and the the storybooks like they all had different designs and they all had different like characters that were used more or not used at all Hmm. so Catra was the main villain as far as like the toys and the merchandising and I specifically these little storybooks so that you would see where they would be fighting a lot Mm -hmm. but there was definitely no like previous relationship of them having a friendship Hmm. I believe Indy Stevenson kind of spoke on that was where they got the idea to write this storyline is because they were thinking well what was their life like before it was almost like writing a prequel to what was already existing and just kind of building off that Hmm. like every time that Catra would show up in the original show it was she was very angry and she also spoke like a cat like she like did little like roars and stuff Mm mm-hmm and also She-Ra and Cantrell were also done by the same voice actress. Oh, interesting. Um, is, they had like a limited cast. Sure. And a lot of people don't like um, the 80s voice so much because it's very cheesy. Mm. But I will I will say that's props to the voice actress for being able to make up different voices for all these different characters. Mm-hmm. But that was really the end of their kind of relationship. And mm. Andy Stevenson just kind of gave it like a whole new perspective that was kind of the main difference from the show was the relationship between the two characters Hmm. yeah that makes a lot of sense like that's basically what i understood of the original franchise is like because there's a series that was made to sell toys primarily like maybe perhaps not as much work was put into it as you might expect these days from a similar show I'm, i i think especially in the 80s that's like almost mm-hmm. a a kind of like stereotype of 80s cartoons yeah. 
Well, I, I would say they did put a lot of work into the 80s show, mm-hmm. but it was like a different, like a different, well, it was a different time, clearly. Yeah. And definitely the storyline of the original, they did have a great storyline. It just didn't like, it didn't have an end. You know, you kind of had to get to the point where a lot of shows would just air episodes and they could play them out of order and mm-hmm. you wouldn't really have too much difference between like today and yesterday's episode. Yeah. Like, all the same story points in DreamWorks are sort of in the original, maybe different orders. Spoiler, if you're never going to watch the 80s show, there's no real ending. Uh, You know, they just kind of keep fighting and then eventually, like, it's over. Gotcha. So that's, like, the main difference. But a lot of people criticize the 80s show for not having representation. But clearly, like, there's not going to be too much LGBT representation in a show from that era, Mm -hmm. you know, in the West. But Stevenson kind of points out that I think it's already established Natasa and Spinderella are a couple. I don't think we mentioned that, but it's I think it's mentioned. Yeah, Yeah. it's like definitely at least hinted at like I kind of got that vibe, but I wasn't sure if it was like explicitly so. I think in the first episode they appear. Yeah, they I think she says like, oh, honey, or oh, dear, and like touches her hand or Mm -hmm. something. So I guess there was something in the original show Bible mm-hmm. that hinted that the characters were like, maybe it just said partners or like, you know, it was very um, not specific, but also kind of hinting at something mm-hmm. like that. And um, the original show is made by Filmation mm-hmm. and the daughter of the company's um, runner was kind of taking over for She-Ra a lot. And she's a lesbian. Oh, okay. So I kind of see like the parallels of like her working on the show versus Andy Stevenson working Mm. on the show, even though I don't think that was something maybe I don't know if Stevenson knew about that. Mm -hmm. I'm sure now maybe. So uh, Erica Scheimer, that was her name. Sorry, I was blanking on. She um, definitely had an influence on the show, whether it was not um, like maybe they couldn't explicitly talk about certain things but they're like Mm -hmm. very slightly hinted at and she's even quoted and saying that filmation was the gayest studio around or something Mm -hmm. like that maybe referring to like everyone that worked there (laughs) so it's good to think about that like even this show did have like a big lgbt influence as far as the creators are concerned Mm -hmm. like the average run-of-the-mill straight man watching it wouldn't get these kind of hints but Mm -hmm. you know i guess maybe that's why i got them and there's a lot of gay fans and lgbt fans in even the original shows of both he-man and Mm she-ra and now we have a whole new generation (laughs) of people watching this show yeah, I think part of it for me, like, I, and I see this a lot with a lot of eighty shows in particular, it does feel very campy, which I think is probably exactly yeah why <laughs> it is so, you know, and camp is such a very like common thing in a lot of Magical Girl series, I think. So, um, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that that is probably a lot of where this comes from for sure. But yeah, I'm definitely like so far, you know, with this first season it's already just has so much promise and i'm very excited to continue watching it oh yeah i wanted to ask your kind of opinion as a new fan seeing just the first season how do you feel about like as a magical girl fan Mm -hmm. i guess uh how do you feel about this show 
in general, I'm really curious. Yeah, I think I was really intrigued by the concept right away. I mean, I kind of, you know, obviously I knew that this was, uh, you know, a reboot, but I didn't know to what extent things were the same. So I was definitely doing a lot of reading after the fact. I kind of tried to wait until after I finished the season to do any reading to kind mm-hmm. of like see what the difference was. But I mean, the very first thing obviously is the difference in character design. But it definitely, you know, it feels like a really interesting story and you are you have all these very interesting characters and kind of looking at the very complicated nature of like what it means to like be on the side of bad, I think was very unique about this particular series. And the idea that like Adora is this girl who, you know, she becomes a magical girl, she becomes good, but she starts from like literally wanting to be part of like this place where she grew up that is doing evil and I think you know it's very interesting to think about it in terms of like you know this is being of course shown to kids so what kind of like a message is it giving to kids and I think it's a very good message and like you know to be comfortable with like second guessing what you think is true based on what adults tell you in your life and stuff like that if that makes sense yeah, and for me, it definitely has a um, kind of comparison to maybe even religion. Mm. Like you're raised to believe this is right and wrong. Obviously, it's not just religion. It's like cultural things and sure. politics and stuff like that. But that's kind of a takeaway that I got from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I get really excited when when kids see me wearing something Shira, and they get very excited. They're like, "Oh, they're like, oh my god, I love Shira!" And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, kids are watching this, and what a great like influence." Yeah, definitely. <laughs> or like of today's generation. Yeah, like for sure. I I know whenever I have kids of my own, I definitely want to make sure they watch Shira, and uh, this one in particular. So I can only imagine your children are going to be a magical girl heaven. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or they're gonna hate it and like they only watch like shonen oh we'll see we'll see you know married to someone who loves dragon ball and yu yu Hakusho, uh and Oh. so we will see what happens we'll see who wins out so. <laughs> yeah but um yeah so is there anything else you wanted to talk about regarding this uh, first season of shira I think we covered everything. There's so much I would love to talk about with the rest of the seasons, but like <laughs> I can't give it away. And I feel like the rest of the seasons are, I don't want to say they're better, but they're more important mm. politically, LGBT plus representation. There's a lot of, of the other characters that we meet. When you're asking like, what's your favorite characters? Or I saw that was going to be mentioned. I'm like, oh, but I can't mention them. You haven't met them yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So I'm just excited to, uh, I don't know, to hear your reactions later. Because I, I love to hear other people's, you know, reactions to all of, to my favorite shows, but especially this one. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely really looking forward to continuing to watch it and, and see what I kind of already sort of know was going to happen. But like... Yeah, I mean, I think for a first season, this is really solid, so. I'm not going to say what Magical Girl properties maybe you've seen on if you in your research, but there are, like, inspirations taken from other Magical Girl shows that you might catch Ooh. as you're watching some of the episodes. So as a Magical Girl fan, you might, you might notice more than somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Very exciting. I definitely am looking forward to uh, finding those. <laughs> Great. One random thing to add, I guess, since I was mentioning how they couldn't use the He-Man characters, mm-hmm. 
as a fan of the whole franchise watching it, everything I'm saying is false or everything I'm saying doesn't happen. So it's not a spoiler because like I told you, they couldn't use anything Mm -hmm. from that show. Every time they mention like the first ones, um, we thought they were talking about the basically um, He-Man's in another dimension. Mm -hmm. They live in Etheria and He-Man lives in Eternia. Mm -hmm. And as fans, we kept thinking that the first ones were referring to like her people from that dimension but obviously none of that was used, but they kind of left it open for interpretation for fans like me to be like, well, maybe, maybe that's where, you know, maybe that's what's going on. Like it's no, there's no, no close. It's like an open end throughout the entire show. So <laughs> I just thought that was really cool. The writers were really smart in that choice. Maybe not to alienate fans so much or, you know, like me. Mm-hmm. even though they weren't going to be used the it's just kind of a cool concept i think all the writing on this show was r- really good yeah yeah definitely and i'm definitely excited to see whatever else uh Stevenson ends up making in the future me too and um even dreamworks like television animation i'm excited to see what else they do the show has ended already <laughs> but i mm-hmm. I went back and watched Voltron, which I feel like is a predecessor now Mm. to this show. It's not Magical Girl related, though they do have a kind of a transformation sequence in almost every episode. Okay, interesting. But I don't think any of the writers from that show worked on this show, but, you know, it definitely has similarities. Even in the designs, some of the enemies look like members of the Horde. Okay. And I think there's a new show um, I started watching. It came out maybe now it's been over a year. Um, It's called Kipo. Oh, yeah. And it's got some cool, like, representation in that show. I haven't finished it. I've just kind of watched a a little bit of it. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of excited to see what else um, DreamWorks can come up with, especially if they do another um, 80s remake. I would live for that. Is there any particular 80s franchise you want to see come back? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Okay, so Gem and the Holograms Mm. is one of my favorite just all-time things that ever existed. And I think uh, DreamWorks could do a cool version of that, hmm. especially if they could get Andy Stevenson to work on that. But, you know, I'm just throwing it out there, DreamWorks. <laughs> but something like that, or I'm trying to think of another one, but that's definitely my favorite. Mm-hmm. I mean, it definitely could use a reboot. There's so many yeah. other things that have had reboots since then, so... They did have a really good comic book series hmm. for Jim. I think it was bef- right before the movie came out, maybe. And it got a good um, response, probably similar to She-Ra's response from fans. Hmm. Oh, well, in the positive, as it had LGBT characters and different body types and they more representation um, with ethnicity. Hmm. I think it went for a good year or two. I didn't keep up with it. I only read the first few issues. I haven't gone back. But I can think that kind of shows that they could do a show in the vein of the comic book Hmm. and people would like it versus what they did with the film. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Shira was, I think, a pretty big success. So hopefully this does mean we Mm -hmm. get some more reboots or, you know, new original Magical Girls, (laughs) whichever. Mm -hmm. Both are good. (laughs) I I think the only reason we don't have more Shira is because kind of with, like you mentioned, most Magical Girl shows are meant to sell toys. Mm -hmm. This version of she-ra unfortunately when the show was debuting was not created to sell toys they didn't have any toy line planned i i don't know for some reason mattel 
doesn't like this version of She-Ra for, or at least for some mm. reason, because they only released um, dolls of the characters after the first two seasons came out. They like rush released dolls to Target only. And they were kind of repaints of another franchise. I think it was maybe Ever After High. Oh, interesting. Um, they just used a lot of the pieces. I mean, the, the dolls are great. They're like really cute. And they were really hard to find hmm. at the time. Well, like you could find She-Ra, but you couldn't find like Glimmer. And you couldn't find some of the other princesses as well as She-Ra and Catra. Hmm. And then they just kind of went on clearance. And now they're like $700, <laughs> you know, on eBay. Oh, my God. I own all of them, thankfully. Oh, but, great. And I had to search for them, kind of. They were hard to find, at least where I live. But I think they lost sort of touch with the fans. They could have had action figures and more merchandise that was officially released. And that would have kept maybe more more interest in making more seasons of the show. Hmm. The show has a definitive ending, but it also has um, things could keep going, you know, like hmm. kind of a lot of shows do like most sure. magical girl shows even when you get to the first season they wrap it up yeah and then they open it up again with another season somehow the storyline continues and the fans have been pushing for like a movie or something else from dreamworks mm. and every now and then it will be trending on twitter and then it just kind of fades out because either dreamworks has no interest or at this point mattel has no interest because they're pushing like he-man and all their other stuff instead they kind of think like We've already peaked with Shira's popularity, I guess. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. It's complicated, of course, but um, I know that's one reason, for example, I think a lot of people don't think that the Precure adaptation of Glitter Force was as successful is because I never like brought the toys around the world. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. yeah. You know, considering all the, the awards and stuff that this series has gotten, I do think that it is something that will, if not like, come back in its own way will definitely at least inspire similar works in the future right and i always wonder um although we've seen um more representation in magical girl shows in from japan mm -hmm. i feel like shira took it to like even another level oh definitely and now now are we going to see more of that in anime magical girl series i mean no, there's been some more aimed at the adults, like maybe um, Maruka versus, say, Pretty Cure. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know all the seasons of Pretty Cure, but... Um, That's okay. <laughs> I never hear, like, oh my gosh, there was a great gay relationship in Pretty Cure, but I could yeah. be wrong. Correct me, please. But <laughs> No, no. Um, so, you know, I do think people who watched Pretty Cure, and myself included, love to say, like, oh, these characters are, like, definitely super gay. But there has still, to this day, in its 19 seasons, never been a couple that was like actually stated to be a couple and like mm -hmm. certainly there's never any kissing or anything but to be fair there's no kissing in Precure generally except for like one movie and that was a not just like a it was like a hetero one but also like okay not good it's yeah just very complicated but anyway for the most part it's like <laughs> there's very little romance explicitly in Precure and then if it is there oh okay Versus like Sailor Moon, which is very romantic. Yeah, yeah. Like Sailor Moon has very explicitly queer characters. But Even with the yeah, straight characters, is like... though, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. There's definitely a lot of uh, changes to what is, uh, I guess, acceptable. Cause, and also, like, Precure mm. has a very young audience compared to what I think Shira is going for. So I think very that true. is definitely very true. 
an aspect. But it would be amazing if Precure ever does get to the point where we do have a couple that is explicitly labeled like, oh, these two are both girls and they both are in a relationship. You know, even mm-hmm. if it's like... Or boys. Yeah, or boys, definitely. <laughs> We're still working on that. <laughs> there are very few boys in Precure in general. Like, there are, you know, hinted characters, right, in, in some seasons, um, but it's never been to the point that Shira has achieved. So, yeah. I know there are some people who would say, like, you know, what they have is good, and it's like, it's good, but we could do better. We can do better. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't even yeah. have to be in Precure. It could be a whole new franchise that comes out of Japan that I feel like we haven't had a big magical girl explosion that can you know compete <laughs> that goes more than like a season or so mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. like they don't make it outside of japan so much like um you don't see like big fandoms growing anymore so maybe this is where they need to take the hint and you know toei or one of those companies you know <laughs> hmm. give us a little bit extra you know <laughs> but yeah so um Anyway, uh, I think that's everything we have to talk about. So, yeah, Jimmy, thank you so much for coming on to talk to me about Sierra Forever. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Yeah, we're down to our last question, which is, um, have you ever imagined a magical persona for yourself? (laughs) Well, kind of, but not specifically. I just kind of... Well, I was someone that was always like bullied in school and all that back when I was getting into Magical Girls. And I was just kind of I didn't have like a specific persona, but I just had this like storyline in my mind where I would like transform secretly in the bathroom and like (laughs) not like beat somebody up, but like, uh, you know, like um, justice will prevail Mm. sort of like transformation moment. But I never really had like my own like... um, magical character persona but i do dress up as all of them all the time so Mm -hmm. (laughs) actually when i do my like gender bent cosplays of magical girls i've done like sailor venus and sailor moon and Mm she-ra i've done them in drag but i've done you know boy kind of masculine presenting versions of them and that's kind of how i see myself more like it's still a costume, but this is my like if I was that character as as how I look on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I've expressed that, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Great. So yeah, thank you again for coming on. Where can people find you and follow you online? Yeah, um, you can follow me basically anywhere <laughs> at, at Jimmy Sherfy on everything. I'm mostly on Instagram. Also, Facebook, I do have a Twitter and TikTok, Tumblr, not really used as much, or it's the same content. You can follow me on there as well. Hmm. Great, great. I guess that's everything. So I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you. You too. And thanks for having me because this is one of my favorite podcasts. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Please subscribe, rate, and review if you like it. And don't forget to tell your friends about the show if you think they'd be interested. If you use social media, don't forget to use the hashtag Sparkle Side Chats when talking about and sharing the podcast.
You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MagicalGirlAyu, spelled A-Y-U, and you can find me at AyuSheKnows, A-Y-U-S-H-E-K-N-O-W-S. You can also email us at sparklesidechats at gmail.com. Let us know if there's a topic you uncovered or a fan or creator you want to hear from by filling out the form in the show notes. You can also join the Discord for this podcast to talk about Magical Girls 24-7, often chatting directly with me and both previous and upcoming guests of the podcast. Show notes can be found on your platform of choice or at anchor.fm slash sparkleside. If you can support the podcast financially, you can buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com slash ayushinos or become a member to receive two bonus episodes a month for just $5 and access behind-the-scenes info. At higher levels, you can get additional perks. You can also buy a commission or print on my imprint page. Another way to support the podcast one time is by buying something off the Amazon Japan wishlist. This helps with getting more access to Magical Girl content that we can discuss in future episodes. Feel free to purchase from the use section as we are not picky here. Original podcast music is by Hazel. You can find her on Twitter at A Few Bruises. Thanks again for listening, and remember, you are magical. Curious, did you see the Gem and the Holograms movie? <laughs> oh yes. no, that's not. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever have a Gem episode, I would love to come back for that. I have lots of thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie was, I just think it was okay. It, I didn't hate it as much as a lot of the fans do. I did go and watch it in theaters <laughs> like the week it came out. A couple days, they pulled it soon after. Are you familiar with, like, the franchise at all? Like, I haven't watched it. One of the reasons why we haven't done an episode on it yet is because I cannot find a place to watch it yet. Um, oh, um, yeah. I think it's on... Um, I'm going to ask around, but I know, or I'm going to Google it. <laughs> I know they put it on some other streaming services, but not. it's not currently on, like, Netflix anymore, mm-hmm. unless it's on Hulu or maybe, but... Yeah, it's difficult um, because even if it is in some places, it's not necessarily going to be worldwide. So, yeah. Yeah, that. Oh, that's true. Well, you know what? Get that. Get that VPN. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you can edit this part out if you want because it's not pertaining to the episode. But, um, I can tell you an interesting fact that would work into a magical girl themed um, podcast for Jim. I, I was reading an interview, maybe Jem has music video like sequences every time they perform a song. Mm-hmm. It's like a full music video and like the opening is like a music video. And all of those were based on the openings for Yuritsei Yatsura. Oh, interesting. So they look very anime, like the movements. Hmm. So it's one of those shows also that was partially animated in Japan, right. like a lot of 80s cartoons so it's it's still on par with uh, magical girls no matter what you do with it like hmm. but to get back to your question the movie was just okay it had some cool throwbacks but i've only watched it that one time and haven't revisited it <laughs> hmm. yeah yeah i remember when that came out and a lot of people were not really happy with it and so i was like worried mm-hmm. like well does this mean that we're not going to be able to get more gem in the future